Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we find enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. And they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the pictures of Jesus that we see. And we ask that we would, we would see him very clearly this morning and show us a picture of ourselves. And whatever needs to be done to make things right with you, we pray you would make that clear to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know this is a familiar passage of Scripture, and if I were to title this passage of Scripture, I would simply entitle it, Jesus Does It Again. You see, this is a familiar passage of Scripture because it's a lot like another passage of Scripture. In fact, through the centuries, critics have pointed to this passage of Scripture and this event as a mistake of a confused writer of the gospel who intended to write about the reading of, of the feeding of the 5,000. That was his intention, to write about the re- feeding of the 5,000, but he got it all confused and got his numbers wrong, and he wrote about this. Well, actually, as always, a closer look will dismiss all of the critics. Number one, we have to understand who this writer is. This was not a confused writer that was just reporting of something that he heard. This was Matthew. Matthew was an eyewitness to the events that transpired in the life of Jesus Christ. He was one of the twelve. Also, Matthew was an accountant. Accountants don't just guess at things. You know, we mentioned this before. There are numbers people, accountant people, and then there's the rest of us. The rest of us will try to balance our checkbook and it's 17 cents off. It's like, oh, 17 cents is not that big of a deal. No, 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 not an accountant person. Accountant person will spend all day long trying to find that 17 cents because it's got to be right. Matthew was an accountant because he was a tax collector. And if anybody's going to get their numbers right, it's going to be a tax collector, right? So he definitely knew the details and... He wasn't just mistaking it for the feeding of the 5,000. 
He wrote about the feeding of the 5,000 in the previous chapter. How could he mistake it with something that he'd already written about? This was a different event. And that's why I said Jesus does it again. And this is the place where this is mentioned. It's right after the feeding of the 5,000. I believe Matthew's the only ones that mentions this. First of all, we understand the location. The feeding of the 5,000 was in predominantly a Jewish area. Now, if you read the details, departing from there, departing from where? All the way back in verse 21, Jesus went from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are Gentile areas. And it says he skirted the Sea of Galilee. Now Mark mentions that he went from there to the region of the Decapolis. That is the region of ten cities. Decapolis means ten cities. Archaeologists have uncovered in this region of ten cities remains of vast amphitheaters and temples and statues of at least seven of the Greek gods. He was right in the middle of Greek non-Jewish territory. And then the last verse says, it says that he sent away the multitude, got into a boat and crossed over to Magdala. And that tells me he went over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Jewish side. Over here on the east side, we were dealing with a Gentile area. And this is an important feature that we'll see in just a minute. So we realize that as we look at this, the passage reveals some key issues, not just concerning the ability of Jesus, but let's not miss the application to ourselves. This passage of scripture reveals some key issues concerning our service for Jesus. This passage of scripture is about us too. Number one, we want to look at the driving force behind the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this himself in verse 32. Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. I have compassion on the multitude. Now this is a repetition. You see, if the critics think because something is repeated, it's a mistake, that's not true. When something is repeated, it's because it's an emphasis. God wants us to get the point. If you'll back up to chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. It says he was moved with compassion on the multitudes. Now understand, he'd already healed a lot of them. 
What, what was it that moved him with compassion? He says he saw these people and he saw they were weary. Some of them weren't sick. Some of them weren't blind. Some of them weren't crippled. They were just worn out. They were tired. So we understand Jesus saw the multitudes and saw they were tired. They were weary. And you know, sometimes life does that. There's a term that circulates around the black community, and, and I've heard it, and I can sometimes identify with it. And that's just, there's tired, and then there's bone tired. You ever heard that? You ever been bone tired? That means you are just tired all over. Sometimes it's just because of a hard day's work, but sometimes it's day after day after day of something you're dealing with. Jesus saw it, and he was moved with compassion. We go forward a little bit to chapter 14, verse 14. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. There's that word again, compassion, compassion. Now, this word compassion in English means to feel with, compassion, to feel with someone. However, the Greek word is something altogether different. It is splachnizomai. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you until you start looking at the origin of the term. It has to do with the gut region. Because, you see, the Greeks and the Romans felt like all the emotions came from right down here. Well, you ever talked about having a, a gut feeling? Well, that's sometimes what we're dealing with. But this term, moved with compassion, uh, tells us that when Jesus saw the people... It was just like a punch to the gut. He was moved with compassion. It was right down in here. We ever, you ever heard of a visceral reaction? I mean, it just shakes you to the core. Jesus saw this. And when Jesus saw the people, he says, I'm moved. I have compassion on these folks. And every time it is mentioned that Jesus is moved with compassion, he does something to meet a need. What's that do with us? Well, in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. This is what it has to do with us. Jesus, driving force, he was moved with compassion. Compassion that shook him to the core. Compassion that motivated him to do something. And Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and the servant like his master. It is enough. It is sufficient that we be like Jesus Christ. And if the driving force behind Jesus' life and work is compassion, what does that say about our driving force? It should be the same thing. It should be compassion. Didn't Jesus say it this way when somebody said, what's the greatest commandment of all? He said the greatest commandment that you love the Lord with all your heart. The second greatest, right up there with it, love your neighbor 
as yourself. When Jesus said, here are the, the two big ones, love God and love others. Now this compassion ignores human barriers. That's why it's important to do a little research and realize how is this different from the feeding of the 5,000? Well, Jesus is over in Gentile areas. And you see, the Jewish people thought the Messiah was just going to come for them. But when Jesus came across the water, so to speak, and he said, I have compassion on these people. And he moved to meet their needs. Jesus ignored the human barrier of location and regional loyalty, nationality, race, and language. All the human barriers that were in the way of the disciples meeting others' needs, Jesus just ignored them, went to the other side of the lake, and he did exactly there what he did on this side of the lake, and that is he fed a lot of folks. That's why this is not confusion. This was intentional, that Jesus would feed a multitude here and feed a multitude there, because he showed us all humans are the object of the compassion of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus is interested in what you have to offer. In verse 34, Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Jesus was not interested in how many loaves the average baker could crank out and maybe what was on the shelf in the store and what the gross national product of Israel was at that time. Jesus wasn't interested in all the other grain fields and all the things about bread production. It all boiled down to you. How many loaves do you have? And the disciples said, seven and a few fish. Seven and a few fish. Now, a common response is found when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and one of the disciples said, there's a little kid here that has a couple of loaves and some fish. But they said, what are they among so many? And many people will ask, why did they respond like they did in verse 34? How many loaves do you have? Seven and a few fish. Verse 33, they said, where are we going to get enough bread for these people? Do you think they forgot what he did on the other side of the lake? Absolutely not. How could you forget that? But you see, what they did was realize our supply is small. And they also, scholars thought, could probably have surmised, Jesus is not going to do that over here with these people, is he? I mean, we're way out of the domain of the Jewish place where the Messiah should work. He's going to do that over here? And, and they responded, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? And you see, they did exactly what we do. They underestimated their talents and resources. And many times we view our talents and resources and abilities as unimpressive and insignificant. And we do that to the point where we're just not going to give them to Jesus because they're not going to make much difference anyway. Did you catch where are we going to get this kind of bread? Because they knew how much bread they had. And what I have to offer is not going to make any difference. You ever felt that way? I can't do anything to make any difference. I can't pitch anything in to make a difference. So, they did nothing. That's what often what we do. We do nothing. Here's the guarantee. What I have to offer 
will remain unimpressive and insignificant if I don't give it to Jesus. It will remain insignificant if I refuse to give it to Jesus. So we don't offer them to Jesus at all because what difference can I make? And here's a key point when we look back over the water and see what happened when he fed the 5,000. Who finally gave it up? A kid. One of the most unlikely to succeed in the crowd. And when you talk to the crowd and thought, who's finally going to make a difference in the work of Jesus Christ? Well, there were 12 grown men there that had been with him for quite a while and received his teaching. There were probably some learned and probably some very educated people in the crowd. There were probably some people in the crowd with some resources. Here was a kid with a sack lunch that voted the most unlikely to make a difference in the world, but he made a difference because he gave it to Jesus. And that tells us something else. There are no age barriers when it comes to serving Christ. He can use you. No matter how young or how old you are. You remember later on, as Paul is writing and Peter is writing, there are several of the letters where they call themselves the aged. The aged. They were still making a difference. You see, oftentimes we're like the disciples. Here's what I have, but what is that among such great needs? Well, it's not much at all if we keep it right here. Jesus is interested in what you have. Sometimes he's interested in your stuff. But let me tell you, he's always interested in your time. Always. Thirdly, Jesus prefers to use human hands to assist him in his work. In verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples... Then the disciples gave them to the people. Now Jesus was moved with compassion on these folks. And Jesus could have bypassed the middleman. We know in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, thousands upon thousands, more people than these, he fed them every morning directly. Manna from heaven. No middleman. Nobody passing it out. They just went out there and found it. God was able to feed these people without human hands. But Jesus prefers to use human hands. And he enlisted the help of his devoted followers. And the same is true today. Jesus prefers to use human hands. Why do you think the church is called the body of Christ? The body of Christ the human hands of Jesus. And this was to meet an immediate need and even a temporary need. Yes, as his followers, we should be all about the eternal. We should be all about the gospel and what the gospel can do to change lives for eternity. But Jesus said, I'm going to use you to help take care of these hungry folks. And it was an immediate need. It was a temporary need. But he said, I prefer to use your hands. I'm going to give this to you. You give it to them. And the principle is the same. Jesus gives to us, and then we give it away for his glory. And then fourthly, the supply of Jesus is always more 
than enough. Now, Matthew, of course, who is pretty key on details, mentions the same thing in the feeding of the 5,000 as he mentions in verse 37. They all ate and were filled. They all ate and were filled. There's really two statements there. They all ate. Now, there'd been something if they all ate just enough to get them by, maybe a little snack. He says they all ate and were filled. They ate all they wanted. I mean, everybody there was completely, totally satisfied. They all ate and were filled. And that's exactly what Jesus can do with your life and mine. Life and what it has to offer, a lot of times, I've invented a word here, underwhelming. You heard the word overwhelming? Well, underwhelming is, man, this is it. This is all there is. Well, if all we're looking for is what life has to offer with promotions, possessions, finances, it'll be underwhelming. But now, with Jesus, life is satisfying and we live it to the fullest. They all ate and were filled with a lot of leftovers. It says there were seven large baskets full of the fragments that are left. And this is where the original language is important as well. The basket in chapter uh, 14, where Jesus fed the 5,000, was a Jewish term. It was a Jewish term, kind of like a picnic basket. There were 12 picnic baskets left over. Probably one for each of the, the disciples. Now, the word basket here is a Greek term. It's a Gentile term. And it means a big commercial basket. This is the kind of basket that's mentioned in Acts chapter 9 where they let the apostle Paul down. This is a basket big enough to hold a man. This is like a big clothes hamper. So how many? what was left over? It wasn't 12 picnic baskets. It was seven clothes hampers that you could have put a man in. That's a lot of fish and bread. That's a lot left over, which tells us that when Jesus is in charge and we give to Jesus our lives and our resources, not only does he use it to help others, but there's always more left over. You'll never lose anything that you give to Jesus Christ. He'll always turn it around and you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. So these lessons are ours as the church. But what are we going to do with them? But the main lesson we want to realize is this. Is regardless of where you're from. Regardless of your situation. Regardless of your condition. Jesus is moved with compassion for you. And Jesus wants to meet, first of all, your greatest need, which is for salvation. Jesus said, what if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Nothing as important as that. And he wants to make sure you have your soul in safekeeping, which is right in the hand of Jesus Christ. Have you ever placed your soul in the hand of Jesus Christ? Have you ever trusted him for salvation? But now he's also interested in your other needs. Are you weary? you tired? Other things going on? He's interested in you. And why don't you bring those needs to him? Let me tell you this. When Jesus meets a need, Jesus meets it completely. And then we can't lose the other part of the invitation. Are we willing to be the hands that Jesus uses to take what he gives to us and make sure somebody 
gets a hint of love from Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing, what